This is your host, Naomi Roberson. Welcome to Writing Rants, your podcast for all things writing. That's W-R-A-N-T-S, little w, big R. For this episode, I'll be discussing the film adaptation of The Tales of Despero by Kate D. Camillo. Before we get started, I do want to take a moment to say that when I was planning the Writing Rants podcast, I chose the title to be a bit punny, ironic, a little bit fun. Um, I do hope that those of you who tune in gain something from our analysis. But I have to be honest, The Tales of Despero is one of my favorite books, and the film directed by Sam Fell and Robert Stevenhagen is one of the most egregious book-to-film adaptations I've seen since the travesty of the 2006 Aragon movie. So this episode will be a bit more true to name than I generally intend. So let's just dive in, shall we? For those of you who are unfamiliar with Kate DiCamillo, she is a young adult author. In many of her pieces, she actually addresses some pretty adult themes, um, like the desire of belonging, depression, finding oneself, abuse, and the question of free will. She actually takes these themes and boldly displays them for children, which I applaud in, um, in a genre that traditionally seeks to shield children from the shadowed, dark elements of life. Um, in my opinion, she accomplishes this best in Because of Winn-Dixie, which details the friendship that grows between a lonely girl and a stray dog, um, the miraculous journey of Edward Tulane, which follows the emotional growth of a china doll rabbit, personal favorite of mine, and also in the topic of today's episode, The Tales of Despero. Now I'm going to briefly summarize the plot points of the book. Uh, this will include a few spoilers. I'll try to keep them to a minimum, but don't let this episode discourage you from actually reading the book. There is so much more to be gained from the characterization, the dialogue, the symbolism, and overall, Katie Camillo's writing voice. I highly recommend this book to children and adults alike. It's an utterly magnificent piece of literature, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, so, the summary. In the first chapter, we are introduced to our protagonist and eponymous character, Despero. Um, he is the run of his mouse litter. He's small, he has big ears, and his personality is equally unique. He's creative, he's romantic, he daydreams, um, and of course, he's shunned by his clan for it. Um, but one day, he hears music, he follows the sound, and this is where he meets slash falls in love with the Princess P. Now, um, he is caught fraternizing with the humans and, and is banished to the dungeon to, to, get, to be eaten by the rats. So jump forward a chapter or two, and we are introduced to our main antagonist, a rat named Caruscrio or Ruscaro for short. Um, there's actually a lot of symbolism in that name. It actually refers to the treatment of light and shade in, in drawing and painting, um, which can be pretty symbolic when you're talking about your main antagonist. But um, moving on, and I know I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. For, so for all of you who speak Italian or who know how to pronounce it correctly, I apologize for my mispronunciation. Anyhow, uh, Ruscaro lives in the dungeon and is supposed to enjoy tur torturing prisoners. Um, instead, Ruscaro is obsessed with light, true to his name. Um, he sneaks upstairs to the castle, and after a series of unfortunate events, he is rebuked by the princess and is haunted by her look of disgust. 
Uh, this is where he begins to plan to steal the princess and bring her down to the dungeon so he can always have a little piece of light and happiness. Despero, of course, overhears Roscaro's plan and vows to protect and save the princess. Um, and there you have the book in a, in a general nutshell. There's a lot more that goes on, but that will essentially help you understand the rest of the podcast a little bit more. And now for the fun part. So the movie kicks you in the b- early on, like immediately. When I was writing my notes, I couldn't decide if I wanted to start with the horrible excuse for narration or the completely fabricated introduction to Ruskaro at the top of the film. And then I realized that my problem with both of these moments is the incorrect characterization. It, it's, a, it's utterly appalling. Um, the narrator introduces Jespero verbally, mind you. She actually talks about Despero right before we are shown Ruskaro. You know, ha-ha, ironic. Um, but she introduces Despero by saying that, quote, There was a brave little mouse who loved honor and justice and always told the truth. And I just, I, I, I just can't. Despero wasn't brave. As a matter of fact, his emotional journey to becoming a hero is predicated on the fact that he learned to be courageous and to be brave and to channel that energy. At the very most, Despero was curious which makes him careless about avoiding certain dangers, but he's certainly not brave, and I detest the screenwriters for blatantly saying so. You lie to me, movie. You lie. Okay, so on to the f***ing rat that we're introduced to immediately after the film starts. Yo, there's just so much wrong going on in this scene that I'm honestly struggling to articulate it. The rat is a f***ing pirate on a boat, okay? A pirate slash adventurer on a boat with an implied friendship with one of the human crew members, and, and none of this happened. None of it. Literally none of it happened in the book, none of it is hinted at in the book. This is a complete figment of the screenwriter's imagination. And I have to ask Gary Ross, Will McRobb, and Chris Viscardi, why? Why waste your brain cells rewriting the character history of Ruscaro? Why? Did you even read the book? So in the book, Ruskaro was born into darkness in the dungeon, okay? So Kate D. Camillo introduces the idea of nature versus nurture. Is Ruskaro's villainy an act of circumstance or something inbred in him since birth? That is a dope concept. We have a classic Byronic hero here who is fighting a possible inevitability and is just yearning for a small piece of light, a small piece of happiness and meaning and love and acceptance and this is in a children's book. In the movie, we have a rat character who lived most of his life in the light, and because of the one pivotal moment of causing the queen's death, he loses his freedom. So Ruskaro's lust for the light in the movie is reduced to the want of independence that he lost. Which, I mean, is not a bad internal conflict for a character to have. It's just remarkably and disappointingly monochromatic especially after having read the book. Okay, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to move on because I could rant about this for hours. Uh, so let's see here. What do we have next? Oh, f*** me. Okay, so... <sighs> quick summary. The rat and his human friend are visiting the town of Dor on soup day, and this is the scene that leads up to Ruskaro falling in the queen's soup, which kills her from shock. There are so many scenes between the chef and this spirit anthropomorphic-like thing made of vegetables in this part. 
And this is the point in the film where I had to pause to bash my head against the f***ing wall. First of all, we're subjected to over six minutes of soup porn nonsense that Katie Camillo summed up in two sentences in her book, essentially, hey, the queen likes soup, the end. Not, oh, we have soup day and we have to make all the soup and the perfect soup and let's focus on the chef. Second, this didn't happen in the book at all, okay? It doesn't make sense. The vegetable monster, it's literally just a sad attempt at padding the runtime of a horrible film so a production company can suck itself off. This vegetable monster consulting bullshit just pisses me off. It pisses me off then. I'm still pretty pissed about it. It just makes no sense. But I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to move on. So, finally, 15 minutes into this abomination of a movie based on a book, we finally get to meet the eponymous character, the main character, and we're still dragged through scene-setting, film-padding nonsense. And the worst part of it all is that it just doesn't end. It doesn't end. We're forced to watch numerous scenes to highlight Despero's weirdness, which I think is overemphasized in the movie compared to the book. Um, the way he interacts in school, we have to watch scenes of that. We have to watch scenes with him interacting with his siblings. And, and you know, okay, okay I'm, I'm just going to skip the rant I prepared about the other smaller incorrect or poorly showcased portions of the movie and just get straight to my main point my main issue with this movie isn't that it's not a perfect representation of the book a movie can use creative license in service of a greater story but in this movie the characters are constantly and continuously simplified in the important areas while bloated in areas fabricated by the screenwriters for i don't on no purpose that I can see, I mean, unless it's personal entertainment. I, I'm suddenly reminded here that Despero's brother, Furlo, actually brings him to the dungeon in the book to be executed. And in the movie, it's just a nameless mouse. And I don't think we really have to go into too much detail here for you to understand how pivotal a small change like that can be. Um, in another scene, Despero is drawn to the princess from music and her beauty in the book. In the movie, it's because she's crying, and that reduces the strong and sensible and refined Princess P of the book to a common damsel in distress. Um, there's a character, Miggery Sao, who I'll get to in a minute, but in the book, we actually get to meet her father. He's imprisoned and depressed and is only allowed one small comfort, and that's the red tablecloth for which he sold his daughter. In a bitter stage, Rusker actually tricks him out of that cloth. And this is a moment where, one, we get to see uh, Rusker truly come into his Byronic hero status. Two, we get to see Rusker as a conflicted and in-depth antagonist. He's not purely evil, and we can almost come to understand and, and possibly even forgive his behavior. And three, we get the satisfaction of Mig's story coming full circle. Um, the movie actually dubs an entirely different character as Meg's father for a cheap emotional payoff because someone realized that they neglected to give the audience any reason to care about the film. Alright, so I, I promised I'd go back to Meg Um And my main reason for even bringing this up is to showcase what is lost in the film so that it can add filler bullshit nonsense like the f***ing vegetable monster. I'm, I'm just, I can't, I'm not over it. So in the book, Miggery Sao is written to be the foil of Princess P. Both of their mothers died. In Miggery's case, her father then sells her to a man she simply calls uncle for a red tablecloth, a handful of cigarettes, and a hen. 
talk about deep yet digestible content for children. Clap, 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 Kate D. Camilla. But of course, this fucking movie skips most of that to boil it down. And the worst part is the movie's portrayal of Miguri's desire to be a princess, which becomes an important tool for Ruskuro to manipulate her into his plan later. The movie brushes it off as being a whim of every little girl. The movie says, quote, at some point or another, every little girl wants to be a princess, end quote. Now, I'm going to completely ignore how sexist and dated that is to address how it completely abandons the integrity of the book. Kate D. Camillo's character does not always want to be a princess. In fact, despite her horrible situation, Megary doesn't really yearn for a better life. This I-want-to-be-a-princess aspect to Meg's character actually grows from a moment where she sees the royal entourage. Meg sees the glint of the sun off of the princess's crown and yearns for that light, which Megary is not intelligent enough to really understand, and she decides that she wants the crown to be the princess. Uh, but this yearning for the light, whether the character knows it or not, ties her to Ruskaro later and makes her fall from grace understandable and redeemable. But it's the light, always the light in the book that's important. And the, the 15 minutes of soup nonsense, the vegetable monster, and the 10 minutes we're forced to watch Despero be weird feels all the more cheap and useless now, doesn't it? When you realize that the movie completely abandons one of the main points of the book, the, the main points of symbolism. I, I, I could really just go on and on about the, the, the inconsistencies between the two pieces and how it makes the movie lacking, like this supposed friendship between Ruskaro and Despero that doesn't even happen in the book, but it's forced into the movie to, to add some sort of conflict that didn't need to be there. And there's also the matter of, of Despero's mommy issues that he has in the book that's completely ignored in the film. But anyway, um, we finally get to the end credits, and the audience is finally informed that the film was based on The Tales of Despero. It's like more like loosely based, as in, we took the title and the character names, but that's about it. I honestly would not be so enraged and frustrated with this film if they had said what every this happened in real life paranormal horror movie has the decency to say that it was inspired by true events that it was inspired by the book if this movie had said that you know this is inspired by the tales of despero and they gave it a different name i wouldn't have so much of an issue it's just you know it's not a bad movie it's just a bad film adaptation of a book of a wonderful wonderful book that inspired my love for reading and for writing, uh, you know, aside from Pride and Prejudice, but th this book was monumental to my career, and to see it butchered on film was just horrible for me. Um, I, I could go on forever, but, um, you know, I try to keep these podcasts under 15 minutes, and we're starting to hit around that mark, so... This is where I'm gonna leave you guys for today. Um, for those of you who tuned in, I hope you enjoyed yourself, enjoyed my ranting a little bit, um... I promise that our future episodes will have a little bit more substance. If you like today's episode, uh, please subscribe, um, leave comments, like, follow, share. Uh, the links to our social media will be in the description as well as the link to our website. Um, feel free to take a look. If you have any book to film adaptations that you would like us to address in future episodes, um, Mention them in the comments on social media, or um, you can reach us through our contact form on our website. 
Obviously, we can't promise to use all of your suggestions, but we will keep them in mind as we are developing um, our next episodes. If you are an author, we do conduct author interviews from time to time, so if that is something that you are interested in, please reach out to us. I think that just about covers everything, so until next week, happy writing!